February 13th, it is a Monday, and this is a brand new episode of Let There Be Talk. Thank you for joining me. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Super Bowl weekend. I feel good today. I feel good. It's, uh, I think, back to the old days of uh, Super Bowls, and I would just have to get up in the morning, do construction, just fucking trashed from mega beers and uh, pizza. Not today, man. Got up, ready to hit the gym, clear mind. Didn't have a, uh, what do they say? I didn't have a horse in the race, but I did want the Eagles to lose since they, uh, they beat the 49ers. So great game though. Wow, got to see it with some great friends. Went to a Super Bowl party. And uh, it felt good to be around of uh, a lot of rock and rollers yesterday. So uh, that was fun. Hope you guys uh, had a good one also. Today, speaking of good one, a damn legend on the show. I've had a lot of drummers. Everybody knows I love having the drummers on. I've been after this man for a few years. And um, Vinny Apice is here today. Yes, it's Vinny Apice. His brother is Carmine Apice. We settled that uh, when Carmine was on the show. If you haven't heard the Carmine episode and you're here for Vinny, go back and check that out. Also great. It's mind-boggling to me that two brothers are some of the greatest drummers ever to be recorded and play heavy metal and metal and rock and roll. Both of them are unbelievable, and I feel that Vinny is completely underrated this man his groove his feel his playing style uh his showmanship when you watch him live everything he is the whole package and he's a solid human man got to talk to him a few days ago and we dove all into his uh whole career do yourself a favor go on to uh youtube and punch in uh, heaven and hell tour not the tour of uh from the 80s you know but the the last tour that they all did when they changed their name to heaven and hell from black sabbath tony iomi geezer dio vinnie and, and watch vinnie's playing i don't even know how old he is but the guy just still plays unbelievable it was great to have you on, Vinny. Thank you for doing the show. They got a new record coming out. His band, The Last in Line. This is their third one. It's called Jericho, and it'll be out March 31st. They got a single out right now called Ghost Town. And uh, I highly recommend you go check out some uh, of Vinny's entire career. I didn't even know until I interviewed him, but he even uh, played with John Lennon when he was 17 years old. That is mind-boggling to me. I don't know what you were doing when you were 17, but I was definitely not playing with a Beatle. So that is unbelievable. Imagine your career starts at the highest. For most people, it's just downhill from there. But uh, which, by the way, I was thinking about it yesterday. Where does that term go? You know, where they say it's all downhill from here. Uh, meaning it's, it's supposed to be bad. But, you know, whenever I'm hiking downhill, it's so much better. So I don't know how that, <laughs> that that term uh i understand going down it's all down 
But downhill, downhill is great. Going down, yeah. I, I don't know. Anyway, go on uh, YouTube and, and enjoy Vinny and uh, check out that Last in Line record. Just, just a, this guy is just incredible. Just the mob rules alone. This man could only play on the mob rules in his whole career, and he would still be a legend to me, man. Sign of the Southern Cross, the feel, and the vibe of that is just perfect drumming. Check it out. Episode is brought to you by Migos Dog. Right now, they have an incredible deal going on. If you live in Los Angeles and you want to get dog food delivered to you, they're doing deliveries now, and you can sign up, subscribe, and get an incredible, incredible deal. Go on their website and uh, get some food delivered to your dog or pick it up at Healthy Spot. All new customers buy your first month of food and get your second month free with an auto subscription. Second month, a $9.99 shipping fee applies, but other than that, the food will be free. How great is that? All future recurring, uh, all future recurring, oh, fucking up their ad, all future recurring Orders, enjoy a 10% happy puppy discount. Anyway, MigosDog.com. I feed this food to my dog, Gertrude. She absolutely loves it. 100% clean, human-grade food. No sawdust, no garbage. They got chicken, salmon. They got a puppy mix and a duck. Healthy spot or get it delivered or air one. Migos Dog. Also, all of my clothing in the last two years comes from the incredible Standard and Strange. Standardandstrange.com, my one-stop denim shop, boots, leathers, and just uh, a great hang when I go to the store. New York, New Mexico, Oakland slash Berkeley. Standardandstrange.com, tell them I sent you. They'll hook you up with some good deals. Momotaro Denim, some of the best denim in the world from Japan. You can find it all in there. John Lofgren boots, real McCoy leather jackets, everything at standardandstrange.com. Ask for Neil or Jeremy. Tell them you're a Dell Razor. I did that kind of Brody Stevens style. You got it, Dell Razor. Yes, Dell Razors are here. This weekend, I will be in Elko, Nevada, doing two shows with my buddy Shaylin McDunnan. We're at the, uh, I think it's called the Exit Stage Door, or the, I better get the fucking name. It does, I'm sure there's nowhere else in Elko to uh, go see comedy, but uh, uh, come see us. I, I hear it's going to be fucking 11 degrees. That's pretty good weather. 11 degrees? Yeah, Perfect. Anyway, it's called The Stage Door, and that's this weekend, Friday and Saturday. And the following week, I rehearse. Uh, uh, I don't know what's going on with my fucking mouth today. The following week, I return to San Francisco, my hometown, for four nights at the Punchline. Wednesday the 22nd, Thursday the 23rd, Friday the 24th, Saturday the 25th. Five shows in San Francisco at the Punchline. Please tell a friend, get tickets. Uh, You know, I'm just trying to pack these venues. And, you know, if I pack the venues, word gets around. Next thing you know, other clubs book you. 
And that's how it works, actually. Thank you, everybody, for joining me here and joining me every week. Subscribe to my YouTube channel or my iTunes and uh, cactusradionetwork.com for all your podcast needs. Keep the candles lit and uh, hope to see you out there on the road. Oh, yeah, one last thing. Las Vegas Easter week at the Comedy Cellar and uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. That's coming up at the Comedy Fort. That's in March, Vegas in April. So there you go. More and more tour dates. I need to work. I need to keep my mind busy. And I keep, uh, I keep the candles lit. Here you go. Vinny is in the house. Yeah. How you doing, man? What's happening, buddy? Not much. Where are you at? I'm in uh, your old stomping grounds, Los Angeles. Oh, you're in L.A.? Cool. Yeah, that's funny. Is uh, I've never met you, but I've seen you play a million times. And uh, where are you at now? Vegas? No, no. I'm in uh, California. I'm near Temecula. I like when some people call it Temecola. <laughs> Temecola. <laughs> a little mixed up. Yeah, Temecula. Is that a studio in your house? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a big house down here. That's why I'm living down here. It's nice, and, and the house is, a, you know, fairly new, and it's big and quieter. It's quiet until I got here. <laughs> what What is that kid, a Ludwig? No, this kid's a, the company I'm with is called Sawtooth. Beautiful drums, and they sound great. Wow, they look beautiful. They are beautiful. They are hickory, and uh, the killer sound on them. Actually, every every Tuesday at 4 p.m. L.A. time, I do a live stream from here. And I play to some music and I teach a little bit and tell some stories, the whole the whole thing. Is that on a Patreon or just like a freebie? No, it's a freebie on Facebook. It's Vinny Apathy Official on Facebook. And every Tuesday I've done 100. This one will be 107 shows. And people like it. You know, it goes out. And after a week, it gets a bunch of hits on it, and uh, the, the company sponsors it. And it's great. And then I answer some questions and stuff, and um, it's a good thing. It's a good show. And uh, great, I got a great drum sound, too, because I figured out how to tweak it through Facebook, through mixers and stuff. And What's the bass drum size, 24? Yeah, that's a 24. I, I just put new, head, new heads on a whole kit. That's a 24. And then there's that bass drum uh, subwoofer mic. Yep. So there's one inside the bass drum, which is a 91 Shure, a flat mic. And then there's that one that gives it the low end. So you mix them, can mix them in there. It's cool. Cool setup. You know, I've been seeing you play for years and uh, I had no idea that you actually played on some Lennon tracks, man. John Lennon. Yeah. Well, I didn't play any famous tracks, but what I did was uh, the band I was in at the time and I was like 16 and a half going on 17. uh, We were managed by the record plant studios in New York City. And we had four horn players, keyboard players. So it was nine piece band. And our good friend was Jimmy Iovine from uh, from everything, <laughs> yeah. And he uh, 
brought us into the record plant and they liked uh, Roy, the owner, loved us and signed us to a management deal, gave us a room upstairs on the 10th floor in Manhattan on the record plant to rehearse. It was our own room. Well, we were there. And it was great because it was free. You know, nothing's free in Manhattan. So one night, Jimmy calls, goes, can you guys come down and do hand claps? Go, okay, yeah, sure. No problem. Because they didn't have computers. So we go downstairs, all nine of us. We walk in and we we see John Lennon go, oh my God, it's John Lennon. So then we go in the, in the room, we put the headphones on. He's talking to us from the control room. And now you're hearing him talking to you after all these years of hearing him and seeing him. I'm like, oh, shit. So we did hand claps on the song, Whatever Gets You Through the Night. So he was telling us what he wanted, you know. And uh, and then after that, you probably wondered where we came from all of a sudden. You got nine people to do hand claps. So we were upstairs. So then uh, a couple of days later, we're rehearsing. He comes in, walk, sits on the step and watches us rehearse and play. We played him a couple of songs. He really liked the band. You know, band was good. It was tight. And uh, and then he used to come out all the time and we had a pool table up there. He played pool with us, um, smoked some joints with him. And uh, he, he asked us to do, uh, well, actually, he produced the owner's wife, Lori Burton. She was a singer. And we did uh, eight songs with him as producer in the studio. It never was released, but he was the producer. And then he rewrote uh, one song we had. He rewrote the lyrics for us, which is incredible. And then... He did, uh, we did three, uh, we're on three of his DVDs clips that we shot at the record plant. And then he asked us to do a live gig at the New York Hilton. And it was going to be broadcast all over the world on you know TV, the whole bit. So we did that. And we were the, that I found out not long ago, that was his last live performance. Wow. So you guys backed him live. Yeah. And, uh, and I had to go to high school the next day. <laughs> you played with a beetle and then you got to go to high school the next day. I'd be in the class and the teacher's trying to teach and they, I'm like, I'm playing. So she's going, wait, who's that drumming? Vincent, stop that drumming. And I would stand up and go, excuse me, did anyone else in this room play with one of the Beatles last night? And I walked out. <laughs> Man, that is that is just insane to actually play with John Lennon at 17 years old. Pretty trippy. Oh, yeah, that is, man. That I mean, uh, there's only a few people, a handful of people that played with a Beatle, including the Beatles, you know? Yeah, right. I was a, that was a trip. I was like, wow. And then high school the next day was total contrast, you know? How do you get involved with uh, Derringer after that band? Of course, it breaks up, and then you start to play with Derringer. Uh, I love the Sweet Evil record. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a great. I was listening to today, getting ready, man. Driving Sideways is just such a cool track. That's Danny's song, Danny Johnson. It's great. And then uh, sitting by the pool, this podcast was originally called Poolside with Dean Del Rey. And that's sitting by the pool track. Just the lyrics just sums up Los Angeles, you know? Well, that's what it was about because we were a New York-based band. And, and we always said, everybody's kind of laid back in L.A. and they don't like to, you know, do much too much. Uh, and uh, Rick thought that, too. And that's how he wrote those lyrics, you know? 
But I got involved with Rick because we were at the record plant studios. Jimmy Iovine recorded us. We did about four, maybe five or six tracks. He produced it. And then one day Rick walked in while he was doing something. He goes, who's, who's that? Who's the, who's the drummer? And uh, Jimmy said, that's Vinnie Appleseed, Carmine's younger brother. I wasn't really known back then. He went, wow. And then I ran into him a day or two later, and he said, I'm putting a band together. Give me your number, you know? And uh, so I gave him my number, and he called. And uh, six months later, he called, and he said he's putting a band together. And, uh, you know, so I told him about, about Danny Johnson. We were in a band together called Axis. Me, Danny, his brother-in-law, Jay. We were together before that, too, before all this. And uh, so Rick came down and he liked the band and he used Danny on guitar and me. And we we all flew to New York. Jay didn't he didn't want Jay, but Jay wound up playing with Foreigner oh. on their first record, putting it together. But he they could only pay him 50 bucks a week. <laughs> he had to leave, which was ironic, you know, and uh that, then we started Derringer. So in that record plant studio was the meeting place. And everybody was there. Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, Jay Giles Band. We used to see Bruce Springsteen come off the train and walking with his guitar on his back into the record plant. We were across the street parking. And we'd go, hey, Bruce, he don't do it. It was just Bruce from New Jersey. And I remember seeing him walking in. You know, when, hey, dude, how you doing? All right, good. He was nobody, you know, and uh, all the people that were there was incredible. So that was like a perfect, uh, the right place at the right time, all the time. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. What is HelloFresh? I'll tell you right now. You get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. I'm telling you, man, you know, you got to eat clean. That's the hardest thing to eat clean. You go out and you just, you know, you just end up eating junk. I don't do it, man. HelloFresh right now is going to give you... 21 free meals plus free shipping. Yes, free meals. You, how are you going to go wrong? Do this, Del Razors. Check it out. Here's how you do it. You go to the website and you go to HelloFresh.com slash Delray21 and use the code Delray21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. I've been doing this. Uh, I, I, I like to stay on track and keep the weight off. I want to live healthy. Uh, you know, you guys know that I had diabetes. I was fucking fat and everything. And now I like to eat super clean. We all want to save money this time of the year also. So uh, how are you going to go wrong with 21 free meals? With HelloFresh, eating well in the new year can be stress-free and delicious. With over 35 weekly recipes, you have the options you're looking for to help you achieve your goals. Choose calorie-smart and carb-smart recipes, or even customize select meals by swapping proteins or sides, upgrading your proteins, or adding protein to a veggie dish. 
Looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year? Cut back on expensive takeout and delivery and get started with HelloFresh. HelloFresh.com slash Delray21. That's the number 21. And use the code Delray21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. This is just insane. I mean, how are you going to go wrong? You know? Okay. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's eat healthy. Let's eat clean. Let's keep our minds rocking. Hello, fresh. When when you get into Derringer, of course, I'm a huge uh, Dan the Green fan, and uh, you know the last Led Zeppelin show in the United States was in '77 at Oakland Coliseum. Uh, those two nights, it was Judas Priest, uh, Derringer, Led Zeppelin. Do you remember any of that day? I, I wasn't there. Damn, what happened? Well, we played with Rick for about a year and a half, two years. And Danny and I thought, you know, you know, we're, we're making the same money. You know, we're young and in, in a hurry. Let's put axes back together and get a deal and do it ourselves. <laughs> and that's what we did. Rick was pissed off. So we left and put the band together. We got a deal on RCA Records produced by Andy Johns, a good record. It's called Axis. Uh, it's a circus world is what it's called. And uh, so I missed that gig. Man, that that's a that's an insane uh, to think about what went down at that gig. You know, that's the famous Peter Grant fight and uh, with the Bill Graham people. And then, of course, uh, you know, Robert Plant's son dies and uh, they never play the States again. Judas Priest opens. It's pretty wild, you know, to think about that time. I had Rob Halford on and he was talking about how uh, they were just finishing a tour and then Priest asked him to play it. And they sat in this hotel for two weeks because they couldn't afford to fly home and then come back. (laughs) That's old school rock and roll, right? Just like, where's the money at? Where's the money? We got to make it work. We got to do that gig, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's also interesting to think about that time in the seventies with people like Derringer and Rick, uh, Rick, uh, Robin Trower and, uh, you know, Edgar Winter and Johnny Winter and all these, all these guys that would just were massive, you know, uh, you know, labels would sign guitar players like that and they would become huge. Yeah. And we, we wound up playing with a lot of big bands. We played, uh, um, our album came out. Then we wound up, uh, we played a gig in Connecticut. It was called the Shabu Inn <laughs> and we were headlining. And the opener was this band called Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> and I'm over there going, what the fuck is a heartbreaker? What, what kind of name is that? Yeah. What do I know? And, uh, I'm from Brooklyn. So, uh, that and then we wound up opening for Boston when they first started playing. They didn't even know what to do on stage. They used to watch Rick and take cues from Rick, like he's a, he was a pro, Rick, you know. And we did that. We opened for Aerosmith on a lot of the Rocks tour. Wow. Played with Fog Hat. We played with 10 years after, I think it was, too. Yeah. And I was like a kid, I was 18, 18, 19 years old going, wow going all these places chicago and it was mostly in the states and new you know new york california seattle whatever we were all over the place that'd be a weird world for you like all of a sudden you're just out touring with huge bands 
and uh, you know, going around. Did did you guys actually have you know? Because sometimes bands at that level didn't have their own techs and stuff. Were you doing your own rodian and stuff, or were nah. you you're at a good level? I don't do that. I don't do that shit anymore. Even back then, we had two two techs, you know, and they set everything up and then they tore it down. Yeah, only one time when I joined Black Sabbath after a couple of shows, you know, 1980, we're playing the big arenas, we get to the gig and they said, uh, Vinny, your tech didn't show up. My tech was Bill Ward's old tech. So he was, wasn't happy. He was working for me now. He was Bill's mate. So he just went, fuck it. I'm leaving. And he left. And I had to set the drums up in an arena. <laughs> so I set the drums up and then the crew broke them down, threw them in the cases. Then we got somebody out. Uh, immediately after that but yeah the mob rules record uh you know for me sabbath is uh the dio era i i just absolutely worship it i saw the mob rules tour uh also the live evil and the mob rules record to me sign of the southern cross is one of the greatest metal songs of all time and uh can you give me a little rundown on that i i i think i heard years ago that you started recording it in a house in Toluca Lake and that, that didn't work. And then you went to the studio record plant to do it. No, no. What we did, we had a rehearsal place in, uh, I think it was, might've been Van Nuys on the edge of Toluca Lake or something, but it was just a studio. I forgot the name of it, but, uh, but we kind of blocked it out for a month, you know? So we'd go in every day, probably around two and we jam and, I would run the cassette player to record the ideas and then we'd listen, we'd put them together. And then when we were ready, we went to the record plant studios in LA and recorded the whole album, including the mob rules song, because that was previously recorded for the movie heavy metal. Right. And actually we were on the road for the heaven and hell part of the tour, 1980. And Warner Brothers wanted us to do a song for the movie Heavy Metal. So we had two days off or something. And we went to John Lennon's house where he shot Imagine and all those videos where they walked through the garden and his big dinosaur hedge hedges cut his dinosaurs, T-Rex and all different uh, dinosaurs. So we pull up there and go, oh, this is cool. And uh, but he had passed, you know, he was not longer with us at this point and then they gave us keys to the room i get the key i go up to the room it says john and yoko i have his room of all people but he just died so i was like mm, i don't know if i want to stay in here you know i should have it's stupid sleep in john lennon's room right yeah. could have been the same bed i don't know but that was an amazing experience because we recorded and wrote mob rules there wow recorded it yeah and that's what cemented me in the band because now we have a recording under our belt and it came out great. Everybody, including Warner Brothers, was very excited about how the band sounded. A lot of energy. And so at that point, it was like, well, I think I'm in the band now for a while, you know. And um, and then every everywhere you went, you open a closet door. There's all this Beatles swag falling. Wow. Platinum albums and awards and this. My God, look at this. Even the Sabs were impressed. And Ronnie, you know, legends impressed by even bigger legends. You know, so that was quite an experience. I wish we had cameras back then. We didn't really, you know, he didn't have an iPhone or a phone or 
anything. You had to bring a camera. So, so, so Lennon still had the studio all set up there, even though he had passed and uh, were people using it? Was it like just a studio up for rent? I think Ringo bought it, bought the house and the studio was up for rent. Wow. Uh, I guess it was up for rent, but we got in there, but you know, this is a black Sabbath. So maybe it was just for certain people, uh, they can rent it out. You know, I'm not sure. That's interesting because when I talked to Rob Halford about the vocals on um, Unleashed in the East, he said he was so jet lagged that the vocals were terrible. So they went to Ringo's house and in one long pass, he just sang the vocals for the live album there. Yeah, that's probably the same house. So that's a couple just heavy metal masterpieces done in that house. That thing's got some good luck charm there, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then you walk around it and you look in the room, the door, open the door. There's the white room where he did imagine with Yoko. You go, Holy shit, man. Look at this. This is insane. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's wild to think about. I think that Sabbath once Dio's in and you're in there, of course, it's just so much more intense and violent, especially with t- Tony Ioma. His playing is just so much more radical. And uh, the sound is like really intense. I mean, it's it's so different. When you were in there, uh, do you think that Tony was uh, specifically playing like less bluesy and more radical to up the game of, of the era that it was? Probably. And uh, the other thing is I, I brought something I think I brought more energy to the band. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a lot younger than, than Bill was. And we also just came off a long tour. So we knew how to play together musically. And the band uh, starting to kick ass once we locked in. So when we started doing this stuff, they never told me don't play anything. So that's a signal for me to go and be me. And I didn't have to try to play like Bill because this is new stuff. But I had to play like Sabbath, make it sound a little darker and, and more mysterious. And uh, that was my attitude, you know. But I definitely brought some new blood to the band and probably energy. And, and I think, you know, we, Tony and I got along really well. So maybe he kicked him in the kicked him in the ass a little bit i don't know man what 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 a record uh also then later on of course when you come back and you guys are doing the heaven and hell i saw that at the greek uh i recently watched some footage of it again uh i think it was the radio city music hall where you you're playing on that on that sabbath era is just so intense and, and incredible it's just I mean, what was the, what were you looking for, like, influence-wise? What were you bringing to it? Like, okay, I'm going to play different with Sabbath compared to, say, Derringer. How did you, you know, what is the frame of mind of that? Well, I got in the frame of mind of how how Tony and Geezer played. They, they play so tight together. You know, they sound like a big wall when they play. And different kinds of chords than Derringer would play, more minory, more odd chords, different solos. And being that we were on the road for so long that I really got into that vibe of how Tony and Giza sound, especially Tony, you know. And there'd be certain ways I would do accents, you know. I wouldn't 
use the snare so much. I got boom, bap boom. I would bow, bow, bow. Bass drum and cymbals make it a little darker and and not pop out or anything like that. So uh, and then I and then I, you know, my inf- big influence was Bonham too. And there's some Bonham stuff uh, floating around <laughs> in that album, like Mob Rules, da 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 with the Mob Rules, that that stop is a and that's something I heard Bonham do when I was young. And I went, that's a cool stop. Instead of stopping bop, you go, brrrap, you know, and it stops. It just punches it right, kicks it right in the ass, you know. Yeah, it's got that Achilles last stand, you know, driving, you know, just the gallop, the, the going, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just fit in. We all fit in together. It's weird. It's like I'm from Brooklyn, New York. They're from, from uh, Birmingham, you know. And uh, Ronnie's from New York, but playing with Tony Giza, you know, we're across an ocean, but we had the same feel once we locked in together. You know, how was it working with Martin Birch? Uh, Martin Birch was uh, he was fantastic. He's a very, you know, very soft spoken guy. And, you know, I let him do his thing. I tuned my drums accordingly. He might got a more mic and he got his sound. If you listen to that album, the drums sound a little bit like Heaven and Hell album, you know, with that tone that he got, you know, because um, after that Holy Diver album, my drums sound changed a bit because it was a whole new environment and uh, it's a lot more punch to it. You know, um, Mob Rules are probably a bit uh, darker, uh, bottomy kind of sound, you know, a lot of bottom end. Uh, Martin was great. I also think that the era of production started to change too. Once you get into the eighties, you know, uh, other than say, uh, Phil Rudd's drums that are kind of, uh, you know, they don't have the big reverbs and stuff, but no. once we get into that, you start getting into that bigger sound drums and everything got really big. Then it, it, everything got a lot of fakeness to it too. It was like, Hey, let's put the, this, this one unit you could rent, put it on and it had this reverb kind of thing and everybody was getting to that. They were triggering the drums and <clears throat> Holy Diver and the DOI, we never used triggers. Everything was, a, a, a you know, pretty match natural. And then we did use some effect on the reverb. That was it. But you're right. It got more processed and more, you know, poppy maybe on, on, on this stuff, not with us, but with a lot of the bands. I got to tell you, I have a cassette tape here. I was at the very first uh, Dio Holy Diver show at the Antioch Concert Bar, and I talked to Vivian Campbell about it. Do you remember playing this fucking place, the Antioch Concert Barn? Matter of fact, I, I just found uh, over the summer, I found boxes of stuff, and I look, and there's a poster for Antioch, California. Wow. It's hanging in my room there with all the records and stuff. And uh, to tickets in advance with for $10. <laughs> yeah. So that was the first Dio show and it was a warm up gig. So we go Antioch, California. Where the hell is that? You know, it's a good warm up show. We thought maybe it'll be a couple of hundred people there, you know, and we could warm up because, you know, we were a new band. So we did the sound check. We get there, we go eat and everything. And then by the time showtime comes, it's fucking 3,000 people there. It's sold out. I'm going, oh, shit look at this so that made us a little bit nervous you know 
So I remember on that show, we, we had a lot of endings. Ronnie likes a lot of elaborate endings, you know, like the eh, end of Man of Silver Mountain, da 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 so it was hard to remember all this shit. So I remember we, we were fucking all the endings up. We were just, instead of going to the ending, we were like, I'm not sure <laughs> when the ending's supposed to start. We're all looking at each other. Okay, go one more time when they're very long endings, you know. Then we just fucking ended it, you know. Because it was too much to remember all that stuff. We, we did most of it, but. It's so crazy to think that you guys played Antioch Concert Barn. I was there. And I think that was the first gig they ever had in there, too. They only had a few gigs there. I guess it was just some dude. He had this farm and he just started, you know, had like a figure like Lita Ford there, uh, somebody else. But there it is, man. Dio, Holy Diver, out at the fucking barn. It was like going to a barbecue. You know, we drove up there. We went, oh, that's nice out here. Okay, cool. You know, we thought, all right, we'll just warm up and we'll play a show. and. No big deal. They had a barbecue going. It was like laid back. And then come showtime, like I said, the place is fucking packed. Went, holy shit. Yeah. Oh, man. So that's funny. You were there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I got a cassette tape of it also, man, which is crazy. I want to uh, have somebody transfer it onto digital just so I can listen to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What uh? What was the recording process? How, how long did it take to record Holy Diver? I can't remember. Well, Holy Diver, uh, it didn't take that long. What we did was, once the band was together, we went into Sound City in Van Nuys. Sound City Complex, which was the recording side studios here. And then it was like a U-shaped building, parking lot in the middle. And on this side were rehearsal rooms. So uh, I guess we... Wendy and Ronnie looked at the studio and Angelo, the engineer, and uh, they liked the studio. So let's rehearse here. It's right across the parking lot. So we went in and they let us do every anything. We we destroyed the place. We kicked holes in the wall. We opened a pinball game so you couldn't lose the ball. <laughs> this crazy shit. Hey, you want some candy? Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. The candy would fall out. <laughs> fucking went nuts in that place. So we stayed there. Uh, we, we wrote four songs. Four songs probably took uh, three weeks at the most, maybe two. And once once we had four songs, we took everything and walked it across to the studio. We didn't break anything down, you know, like cymbals, stand with a cymbal on it. Think, 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 walk it across. We all did. Ronnie, too, he's carrying something and go in the studio. And we set up and we recorded it. And then we finished as much as we could on those four songs. Then we went back in the rehearsal room and wrote four more songs and did the same thing. So I think the the whole thing took six weeks, probably. Wow. From, from writing it, you know. You remember the first time hearing Vivian Campbell play? I mean, that guy's just insane. And the way they got him is crazy. How they found his name in the phone book, tracked him down. Jimmy Bain called him. Hey. No, nah, no. Nah, Jimmy knew him. Jimmy knew him. Oh, yeah. But no, he knew him, but he didn't know how to find him. Oh, I don't know. I didn't hear that part. Yeah. Vivian said that like his dad's the same name in the phone yeah. book. So they went <laughs> in a phone book and found him in, 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 you know, Dublin, Ireland and called in the middle of the night drunk. Hey, hey, Bev, this is Jimmy Bang. And that's his father. He woke him up in the middle of the night. So 
So his father woke Viv up and said, Viv, there's a drunken Scotsman on the line for you. It's 2.30 in the morning or something, you know. You remember the first time you heard him, though, play? Because, I mean, he is just incredible. Yeah, actually, we didn't. I don't know if we, I don't remember listening to his band Sweet Savage before he f flew in to, to play with us. So um, we were in London, Ronnie and I, and then finally Jimmy arrived and he called Viv. Viv came in the next day and we jammed at uh, a studio there, John Henry Rehearsal Studios, and we heard him play there and we recorded it on a cassette and we were like, wow, this guy's smoking. And not only shredding, but then at one point he did like a Chuck Berry thing, like a Keith Richards-y thing, kind of bluesy. We went, that's cool, because a lot of guitar players just trying to go as fast as they can, you know, all that shit. So uh, that sold us when we went and listened to the tape later on that night. And um, yeah, so I'm still playing with him and last in line. And uh, that's another thing. Like he's from Ireland and I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> And we got the same feel. We lock in together. It's like this special thing that the way we play together, like Iomi and Giza Butler, you know? Oh, yeah. Even on the new Last in Line uh, single, I mean, you can just hear the, you know, the Dio band type of, uh, you know, playing on that, just the guitar playing and the drumming. And it's just like right there. You're like, oh, well, this this just sounds like something off Holy Diver, you know, the, the tones even. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Viv at rehearsal and on stage plugs into the amp. There's a wah-wah pedal in between. That's it. He uses angle heads and he just gets that big, crunchy sound. You know, where all these other guys are using racks and pedal boards. And if you watch... Any of the videos, I don't know if you see the pedal board. There's no pedal board. There's a Wawa pedal right into the amp. And he's using the Holy Diver guitar with us. And it just sounds great. And so we lock in, we jam together. It's just like it was with uh, Dio back in the day and Naomi. We play, you know, he'll play a riff. On, hey, that's cool, man. Let's try it again. Let's, you know, this really gels together, him and I. I talked to Vivian quite a bit about his... Uh... His Porsche addiction. Are you a car guy? Uh, not really. No, I never, never was a real car guy. Now, I, I bought, you know, first money I got, I bought a house. You know, I bought the when they first came out, a Mazda RX-7, because I thought they were cool, the rotary engine. I wish I still have it. That was a cool car. They had a 52 MG. Yeah, 52 MG. And then I had a uh, Lexuses, a leasing them and stuff, and I didn't get into the big cars. Did you uh, ever get to see Bonzo play? I got to see him one time at a Vanilla Fudge concert. Uh, I got to see him. Actually, they opened for the Vanilla Fudge back when they first came over. That's how Bonzo and Carmine became really good friends. And uh, I was like, wow, holy shit. And then my brother gave me the first album. He goes, check it out. It's great drumming on this. And I've only seen him that one time. That was it. They was supposed to come down when sabbath were playing we were playing london and hammersmith uh we played four nights there and tony said uh jimmy page and uh jimmy page and bonham were going to come or robert plant and bonham were going to come down and uh check out the show and a week before or two weeks before that's when he died Shit, i never met him i got one of his sticks on the wall oh 
that's cool. Who else do you like out there? Like when you were starting, other than your brother and say Bonzo, who were you uh, into? To to Bonzo, uh, uh, Mitch Mitchell. Oh yeah. Ian Pace, Billy Cobham, Buddy Rich, guys like that. You know, and, and all those drummers, what they have in common is they're all lead drummer. They 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 don't play on top of the song. They're in the song. They're pushing the band. They're doing fills. The fills are part of the song. So I grew up, and my brother, and I grew up listening to this going, yeah, that's the way it should be, you know. I mean, you listen to Zeppelin records, the drums, the parts of the drums are a unique part of the song. So, you know, I grew up with that in mind. That's why uh, on Mob Rules, there's a lot of ass kicking going on. And then Holy Dive, it is a lot of fills. And both bands never told me not to play. You know, like uh, Ronnie never said, don't play over my vocal line. You know, because I fucking played all over his vocal line. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he would he would be inspired and go crazy. Then I would be inspired by him. And it was just a big machine, you know. So uh, and Tony and Giza never told me, don't don't play, you know, that, you know, on the records or anything. So it was really a cool thing for me, you know, not to be told. And they trust what I do and they like it. So. Out of the out of the Holy Diver and Last in Line, which one do you like better out of those two? It's really tough to choose for me, but which one do you feel? I like Holy Diver. It was such a classic. It was a magic time and and all that. And uh, and Last in Line album has uh, you know some some songs like like We Rock and then uh, the Last in Line, brilliant song, and like I Speed at Night, just a total burner, burner, you know. Um, but Holy Diver, I think every song is just solid, you know. And we were just having fun. We didn't sit there and go, well, let's try to make a classic album. We were just having a lot of fun playing together and destroying Sound City. And then uh, there was no real stress. And we didn't know that this album was going to be, it's 40 years this year that it came out. So we didn't know we were making a, an amazing album, you know. We thought the same way we thought of Antioch. There'd probably be a couple hundred people here. <laughs> so this this album just keeps kicking ass. Went double platinum last year. You know, crazy. I know Vivian had uh, you know his troubles with Wendy and and that whole thing. And you you played with Dio all the way to the end. Um, were you kind of bummed once he was gone? And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ronnie told me, you know, I'm gonna get, we're gonna get rid of it. What? Why? Why? You know, I was. Why are you gonna do that? You know, um, it's a, it was a money thing. You know, was, we were promised a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, percentages, and this and this and this and this, and, this. and it never really materialized. Um, and I kind of had my separate deal with Ronnie and Wendy I, with a contract. So that's what happened. Viv was questioning it and quest, you know, hey, what? what's going on, you know? And it just got to be uh, uh, a thing where they didn't like that. And they thought, well, anybody could be replaced, which is not true. Yeah. Sorry. That's not true. And they got Craig Goldie in there. And that Craig Goldie was in a band rough cut that Wendy managed. So it was convenient for and easy for him to come in, you know, but it's not true that in certain bands, yeah, you could replace everybody you know, whoever you want, but certain bands, you can't, you know, imagine Zeppelin 
uh, replacing Jimmy Page with Eddie, somebody else, or yeah. Robert Plant. Yeah, just, there's a magic there with that that chemistry, you know. So, so that's what happened. So I was kind of bummed, and then okay, we'll carry on with Craig. And then the music, you know, we started to go downhill a little bit. You know, it's not Craig's fault, but it was the you know Ronnie was producing it, and we brought keyboards in more, and uh, we started off as a, a fucking guitar band on fire you know yeah yeah i think you know also that goes back to uh the era started changing again well you know jumps big we gotta get some keyboards and uh you know let's soften up the sound and get some songs on the radio Uh, yeah interesting time you start chasing that and then you lose your your core following and your core sound right yeah yeah when you put together uh, Last in Line, the uh, group now, you got the third record coming out, Jericho. What was the singing auditions like for that? Was Andrew just picked right away or were you looking at a bunch of guys? Well, the way we started was um, Vivian called me. He spoke to Jimmy and he said, hey, I just spoke to Jimmy. You want to jam together? I'm in town um, in L.A. I said, yeah, that'd be fun. So we got together in the studio and we started playing all the whole, the, the Dio stuff, trying to remember it, you know, especially Viv with the solos, you know, he's trying to remember his solos. and sh- So that's the way it started. Then it was so much fun. We said, let's do it again. And I said, my friend Andy's in town. I've worked with Andy with George Lynch on a tour a long time ago. Right. And he knows the stuff. So let me call him. And he came down. He knew everything. And when we played, we went, holy shit, it's a powerhouse. It sounds great with him, you know, singing this stuff. So we decided uh, maybe we should start a band, you know. And then uh, Viv's friend, Steve Strange, you know, he just passed last year. He was a big uh, uh, agent in England and the U.S., really big. Everybody knew Steve. And he loved the band. So he's booked us some gigs. We did a bunch of gigs in Europe. Then he got us a record deal with Frontiers Records. So now when we had the time, we got together and started writing just like Dio, the way we did it in Holy Diver. So we didn't audition. It just came together, which is cool. You know, we didn't do it like, uh, you know, trying to get a name singer and it looks good on paper kind of thing. You know, so this was like El Natural. It came together. And then, um, and then we did the first uh, record. And then Jimmy passed. He died. And we auditioned a couple of bass players. And uh, and then Phil came down. We know Phil forever. And Phil comes from the same era. And, he, you know, we all hung out together at one point during the 80s. So Phil was easy to uh, bring in and play with. And he plays, you know, similar kind of style to Jimmy, a little bit more busy than than jimmy played so he fit in great so it's a good team now yeah phil's great man he uh i had him on the show and had no idea that like he basically him and and jimmy started an early version of the firm which is crazy he did i didn't know that <laughs> yeah that's fucking wild man he playing with jimmy you know yeah uh new record comes out what's the date the new record comes out march 31st jericho are you guys going to be touring it or anything? We're going out in April for some dates, and then we're going out in September. And in between that, Viv's gone with Leopard, you know? 
Right. So uh, I'm going to be doing it. I do this thing in Europe. I've done three tours there and it was called the mob rules. And I played basically all the stuff from mob rules and some old Sabbath, couple of Dio songs. And I did like 25 dates on one tour and went back three. I've done three tours all over Europe and, and South America. I've done twice. And uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I said, you know what? And it's fun. It's fun to play that stuff. It's low stress. We're not trying to sell albums or not. It's none of that. It's just like a good night of music. So it's called Sabbath night. So I'll be out doing that. I got a kick-ass band on the East coast and one on the West coast. And, uh, I'll play all the stuff that I'm on and some old stuff too, which is fun. Wow. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. And I call it, you can call it a tribute plus I'm the plus. I'm the one, one guy that was in the band, you know, that's still doing it. I mean, Sabbath, nobody's, Ozzy retired. Nobody's going to play from Sabbath again, probably, live. Isn't that crazy to think about? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, uh, you know, he, he's he's right. You know, the traveling sucks. Oh. And he's traveling nicely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's traveling you got you got to be strong, you know, and then play these shows and, and this and that. But now he's retiring. All right. We lost Ozzy and, you know, Tony Geezer not going to, uh, Geezer's retired pretty much. And Tony, he's still probably doing stuff in the studio. He's got a nice studio in his house and, um, that, so I'll be the only one that was, had a link to that, you know, and, uh, and it's fun to do, you know, it's fun to play this stuff. So I'm going to be doing some dates with that too. So call Sabbath nights. You remember where you were when uh, you heard Ronnie died? Well, we were in the hospital with him. Wendy called and said, you better come to the hospital because uh, it's not looking good. And went, oh, so went to the hospital and there was a whole bunch of people there. We're all like a party. We're in his room and Ronnie's just out of it. You know, he's on morphine. He's just eyes closed. He's like unconscious. No, no, shit. And then um, at one point, the doctors said, okay, you guys, everybody's got to leave. We got to do some work and then you can come back in. Okay. So I went up to Ronnie. I mean, he was unconscious and his eyes were closed. I touched him. I said, Ron, we'll be back in five minutes, uh, 15, 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, his eyes opened and he looked at me for about 30 seconds, like everything was normal. <laughs> and then I closed his eyes again and went back. Holy shit. I got chills. Wow. Yeah. It's like I knew I was there. And uh, so he was basically like that. And then uh, the next day, Wendy called and said he passed. Oh, no. shit. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Because we thought we, you know, we were scheduled to go back out on the road. That was, he died in May in, in 2010. And we finished the year before. And uh, he was getting treatment. You know, and he even wanted to get together with me and Geezer and him at a rehearsal place, maybe like February, March, start singing a little bit. Tour wasn't until July. And that never happened. You know, he wanted to do that to, to get back into shape. And his, his voice, you know, he sounded a little bit raspy, but we thought well, it's Ronnie. You know, and he's going to sing in two days. He'll be like normal. A day he'll be normal again. And that's not what happened. He just 
didn't turn out that way. So we never got together with them. And then uh, you know, the next thing they had to bring him to the hospital. So terrible, so sad. The worst part was there was the three of us. I've never experienced this, Tony, Keezer, and, and me. And we went up to the casket. It's an open casket. And you're looking and going, I mean, this is freaky because you're a band and there's one guy's laying in the box. Oh, man. We normally would have been rehearsing. It was in Burbank, too. And it was like we rehearsed in Burbank. And that was freakier than losing a family member almost, too, where it's a different feeling. You know, this was like a band's a band, you know, it's a unit. Yeah. And three of us standing there, just feeling inside so sad. Oh, man, I couldn't even imagine. I mean, like the last time you were with him, other than the hospital, was on stage on the Heaven and Hell tour. So then there you are. It's just like, oh. And that last tour, he was pretty, he, he was sick, right? Yeah, he, he was hurting. Yeah. yeah. He didn't complain much to me, but he would complain, tell Geezer, you know, I think it's gas. And, you know, then he, then he said one time, I think it's, I got cancer. And Geezer went, no, 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 Ron, you just go see the doctor and sort it out, you know, all that stuff. So, but he went out, gave his 110% as much as he could. Oh, he sounded incredible when I saw him. Oh, yeah. yeah he loved, he loved uh, doing that stuff. Love singing and and the fans and the whole things. And the funny thing is, when I joined Sabbath, I went out, I went down to meet Tony Iommi in a hotel, 1980. They said, uh, "You want to meet Tony?" Yeah. So I went, and we got, we hit it off. And he had my album I did with my band Axis, which is Danny Johnson. And he goes, "This is good. We like it." Like, it. and then we hit it off. Come down to rehearsal tomorrow. I'll go down there. I meet Ronnie and Jeff Nichols and Geezer. They go, what do you want to play? And I wasn't a big Sabbath fan. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, what do we play? I heard Neon Nights on the radio. Yeah. Like the week before I heard it, I went, wow, that new singer is like amazing. You know, because I wasn't a Ronnie follower either. I, you know, I heard him on Man of Silver Mountain, but not Rainbow. I, I wasn't following Rainbow. So I knew Neon Nights only had one break in it. So it's easy for the drums. So I said, Neon Nights. So we played it. And that was the first song I played with Ronnie. The last show we ever did, that was the last song I played with Wow. Wow. 30 something years later. First song, whoop, last song. It was like the end of the, the closure of the chapter, the book. Talk about ironic, you know, freaky. Well, thanks for doing the show. Congrats on the new record coming out and uh, the Today. tour coming up. And uh, I just wanted to tell you, man, I've been a big fan of your playing. It's just unbelievable how great you are back there on the kit. And, uh, as as uh, as many people love you and everything, I still feel that you're completely underrated. I'm just like this guy is a god out there, man, of just <laughs> metal drumming, and the, the it's mostly the feel, man. Your feel is incredible, and also you were right on time today. I'm like, yep. See, he's got great timing on interviews <laughs> and behind the kit. <laughs> uh, uh, well, that's one thing you know you could practice. Same with guitar. You could practice technique and, and different exercises and same thing on the drums, but the feel has got to come from inside, you know, and you could teach it a little bit. Like, don't, you know, it's got to be locked in, man, you know, right in tempo and things that work, things that don't work. It's hard to teach that, you know, it's got to come from within. And I, I learned a lot of that too, playing with Iomi, he played so behind the beat. You know, like when we played the song Black Sabbath, 
there's almost no tempo. Go boom, 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 ba, da, boom, 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 boom. It's, it wasn't right in. Yeah. And the same thing if you listen to Heaven and Hell, that was Bill Ward on the album. They go da, 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 da. It slows down. Yeah. The, yeah. And that's the three of them, three Birmingham guys that they lock in and they, they play as one. They all slow down to get that. I love it. You got to, you know, hear that stuff and you go, wow, that's cool. Well, you can just feel it. You can feel it when you're in the audience too. It's just, it just grabs you and you're just like, it's, there's a lot of drummers out there that are technically, uh, you know, skilled, but they're too much like a metronome. They just don't, you know, they just don't have that swing, that feel, that groove. You know, it's just like boom, pop, boom, pop, boom. They're like, I'm perfectly in time. It's like, yeah, but there's no fucking heart and soul there. That's right. You know what it is too? If you listen to the snare drum, the guy's hitting the snare drum. Sometimes you hear him playing the snare drum's exactly the same. Every hit. What? What? Like you just said, whereas I don't hit like that. You know, there's some grace notes that goes like this, you know, same thing with uh, my brother and Bonham. You know, we didn't hit like, bah, bah. It's, it's just, there's no feel in that, you know, no heart in that. So, uh, that all comes down under the umbrella of the field, the field, you know, you got to have the feel and this tempo, and steady, you know. So I learned a lot from from playing with Iomi, you know. They so you know, wow, <laughs> big chords just right in the pocket, you know. That guy's a god. Yeah, he is Amazing. a god. Mm-hmm. Thanks for doing the show, man. I really thank you, Dean. And uh, nice talking to you. And check out Tuesday, four p.m. Facebook, Finney Apathy Official. Yeah, everybody get down on that Facebook and uh, watch his drum lesson and jams, and uh, and also. Check out the new Last in Line record coming out, Jericho. It's uh, they got a, a single out right now, Ghost Town. It's fantastic, and uh, thank you again, man. Ah, uh, thanks, Dan. You take care. Bye, everybody. Thanks See for you, listening. Bye. All right, later.